Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Tanya Bearsley and hearing about her career journey. Tanya is Kia New Zealand's Regional Director for UK and Europe, and Kia's mission is to drive high-impact connections for Kiwis around the globe. This role has been a great fit for Tanya, who's a natural connector of people and who enjoys helping individuals and businesses to achieve their goals through introductions. Following an earlier career in hotels, catering and events, Tanya took on the role of President of the New Zealand Society in the UK in 2013. She's also produced colouring books for adults and has recently been involved as research lead for Dreamcatchers, a broadcast interview series which tells the stories of inspiring Kiwis in the UK. In February 2020, she was named the Air New Zealand UK New Zealander of the Year. Also a Te Papa Tongarewa Foundation trustee, Tanya has recently returned to Aotearoa New Zealand after living in the UK for 15 years. Having recently returned myself to New Zealand after living in the UK for 17 years, I can appreciate it's quite a transition. Kia ora, Tanya, and thank you very much for joining me today. Kia ora, tindofa ena. Um, thank you for the invitation. It's really wonderful to be here. You're welcome. So I'll start with a question, if I may, Tanya, to take you a little bit back, and that's to when you were a child or a teenager. What thoughts did you have about what you wanted to do or be when you grew up? So when I was a child, I wanted to be a librarian. I loved stories. I loved learning. I loved exploring the world. And probably sounds a bit odd of the smell of libraries too and all that they kind of promised. And it seemed I liked order as well. Then as I got a little bit older, when I was at my teenage years and looking at leaving college, I had aspirations to be a journalist or an interior designer. And I just did this really lovely talk last week with Princess Trust New Zealand talking to youth who are entering the workforce. So also got to think about that time and why I wanted to do those jobs. And thinking about it, it was very much, again, about storytelling and creating an environment for people. Yeah, it's really interesting to reflect on that and then 30 plus years on where my life journey has taken me. How interesting. I like that kind of storytelling and creating an environment for people so that those threads still yeah. carrying through. And yeah. tell me a bit more about your first jobs. How did you get into those and what were some of the, the highlights or challenges of those? So my first job was, it turns out I was a bit of a bolshy 17 and a half year old and had a moment at school where I just didn't feel that I had a voice. And my only regret of walking out that day was that I left behind my love of art history, which I bring into my everyday life now. But walked away from college actually and got home and said to my father, I'm not going back. He was actually very wise and said I had three decisions. Either went back the next day, found a job or went on to further education. So I cut a little clipping out of the Dominion Post evening paper and I applied for a job at AMP Insurance. And I was rewarded through two interviews with a job as a direct response 
Clark at AMP Insurance in Wellington, which was and are about the days of where someone would fill in the Women's Day or a newspaper, a request for connecting and learning about AMP's products and to meet an agent. I would get this little coupon. I would decipher people's writing. I would introduce that person to the agent closely located to them, would send a letter to both, and then, hey, presto, the agent had a new prospect client, and I'd done what I needed to do to be a I giggle about it now, a direct response agent. Really funny that my first ever job was connecting people. And here I am now at the age of nearly 50, still connecting people, but in a very more dynamic um, and immediate way. How interesting. It's interesting how those, yeah. kind of those, those circularities come <laughs> around. And then where did you go from there? What were some of the, the next steps that you took in your career? So after having a couple of years of being probably on a bit of a track of probably working through the phases at AMP Insurance and into the insurance world, I found myself having to retrain and think about what was next. And at that pivot point, so I had a really early crossroads in my early 20s. I then looked at either going into teaching or hospitality school. And I was accepted for hospitality school first and then ensued my learning career into hospitality and catering and trained as a chef. Goodness me, I didn't know this. That's really interesting. And what was it about hospitality that appealed to you? I've grown up in a wonderful Samoan family. My father is part Samoan, and so hospitality has been a huge part of my upbringing. So it's been quite a natural progression for me to understand it from a professional stance. And I think New Zealand hospitality sector, as grand as it still was in its early 90s, was really coming of a time of growth and change. And so it was like opening a new world to me. And then I got through that training and then did three years of training in two, which I came out at the end as a qualified chef. And then as life and serendipity happens, my and I studied at Fitidaya Polytechnic in Porirua, my hometown, the head of catering offered me a teaching job And so after finishing all of this journey, I ended up being a catering tutor at Fittedale Polytechnic in Kapiti for nearly two years. And so within a five-year period, actually got to experience both teaching and hospitality. So lots of, as we go through this conversation, you'll see I've had a bit of a really exciting, for me, wibbly-wobbly career where I finished, come towards the end of one journey and a new opportunity is presented to me by people that I admire. And this was the person that I highly respected. And I had a lot of self-doubt about my ability to teach, but with amazing guidance and support from my peers and my former tutors who became my colleagues, I had a really great time. And I hope thinking about those students that I gave them of something to value in their lives that have taken them on into their their futures. I love the way that you still ended up. Uh, in a wonderful way, actually teaching in catering world. How fantastic. Yeah. What then ensued from there? So I joined a colleague on one of her exciting business adventures, which has now been going for 20 plus years, um, Sarah Rent Catering in London, just north of Wellington. And she had taken me on in a part-time role at the local Pro Workman's Club where she started the business. So I used to be down there in my chefing days, um, cooking steaks for the locals And then she started her catering business out of an old butchery in the Linden shops. So I still remember that first day walking in there and the excitement that her and her husband had of opening their new business. So I joined them in a 
catering assistant stance for a while and even had a stint as being their catering manager. And their business was, you know, going, it was growing at a rate of knots. It was lots of fun. And then another crossroad appeared. And my part, then partner, now husband and I were offered the opportunity to have a kitchen in Porirua. It was called the Rocks Cafe. And this was where we would offer the food offering Monday to Sunday, so seven-day-a-week offering. And the weekends, it turned into a bit of a nightclub. So we sort of had juxtaposition of bistro dining and then party zone. So I took that on and sadly walked away from the catering world that I really loved, but was really excited by having my own menu and having my own space. We worked really hard at that. We built an amazing team, many of who are still family, become part of our family. We had some fantastic customers. We brought the um, really beautiful food into the area. And then it got to the point that I realised that my business head wasn't really what it needed to be. I was more of a creative. And we had to make that tough decision to close the doors because we just weren't making enough money to cover everything that's required to run a successful catering um, institution. And we could keep trading through it, but we had a seven, I had a seven-year-old and we just looked at what was important in life and so decided with many tears to close the doors. So, yeah, that was an unexpected journey, which I learned so much of about myself, about business. We probably did leave you feeling a little bit wounded. Your pride get dent, gets dented when you haven't quite hit the success um, rate that you'd, you'd tried to, but we left with our heads held high. And luckily for me, the wonderful Sarah Sarank offered me a new role with her business and I went back home to Sarah Sarank Catering and I had a role as their first event manager until such time that I actually immigrated to the UK. So for several years, I've helped build that arm of their business. And so once again, got to collect my love of creating opportunities and events for people and creating spaces for them to meet their objectives and had an absolute blast um, doing that. So then I suppose then in series what you've seen, which is my journey in the UK. So mm. land into a new country where you know no one, nothing, and don't know where to start. So my pre-UK life is very much centred around the food and beverage scene in the area. And it strikes me that your UK career, there's also always been those threads connecting you back to New Zealand still. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so we had the great fortune of having an ancestry visa. So the three of us packed up our lives and put backpacks on our backs and landed in the UK in April 2005. And my husband is a senior um, project manager in IT, so he was the focus of employment. He um, was the main breadwinner, and then I was there to settle the family in. So we got our daughter settled into school, and then I started looking for work, but I was starting cold there, and then just really didn't know where to look. It was a bit of a tough time of trying to um, paint a picture as to who I was, because in the UK, where so many people, so many jobs, it's easier to fill... Um, a circle with a circle and to pigeonhole people and, and people couldn't understand my CV. They didn't know where I was. I obviously had only been at some jobs for a couple of years. They couldn't understand the essence of what I could offer. What does one do when no one understands your CV? You start a new job in that industry. So my first job in London was for the, at that time the second largest hotel in the UK and that was a reactive event salesperson. So still hailed back to some of the work that I had done 
in New Zealand, but was a whole new learning for me. Learning the hotel scene of the UK, learning the UK from postcodes to accents to company names, to then pitching and winning pieces of business and looking after them from contract through to invoice and everything in between to facilitate our services, hotel providers, and had an amazing time there for a year and a half of going from zero to hero, really. The team and I were able to produce some really amazing work. I've made some of my um, most important friendships in that role. We were a really hardworking team. And then went one, spoke to a customer one day and said, God, I'd really love to work at somewhere like the British Museum and get back to my days of events. And within a month, I was an event manager at the British Museum for the catering company because unbeknown to me, his partner ran that facility. So when you put it out to the universe, you never quite know what's going to come your way. I remember you saying before you even actually started recording today about actually there is something about as long as you're clear on what it is that you want to do, put it out there and some somehow those connections will happen or that serendipity will somehow strike somewhere in there. Yeah. What were some of the, the highlights and challenges there? Yeah, so the highlights were having the keys to the library, the bookcase in the King's Library of the British Museum to get through to my office and being this little Kiwi kid walking into the museum on my own at seven in the morning was moments in time that I always just absorbed because I just knew it was an incredibly special, precious and surreal time to be there. We worked jolly hard. I was working for an Austrian catering company that provided services there, had loads of fun putting on some fabulous events for people. Because I'm an optimist by nature, I certainly will all face hardship, but it never it always becomes an opportunity for me to either stretch, learn, or figure it out and do a workaround. So nothing's really stuck with me as a true hardship. But I think that when you're starting somewhere, being allowing yourself to be vulnerable and to admit you don't know something, and people are always so willing to part on their knowledge because we all remember what it's like to be there. And then that event management role then led back to hotels. Um, the GFC, so the, the financial crisis hit the UK. I was looking for a little bit more assurance in my role. And at that point, there was some part-time hotel roles that came on. And I told myself that I was going to go and work part-time in sales, study art history, and then work my way towards a new career. Well, I went to pay for my art history paper. And despite all of my knowledge and research, was reminded I was an international student, so the course was going to cost me four times as much as we'd budgeted. So I had to step away from that opportunity at that time and then went back to full hotel sales for another three years, which I had a lot of fun. But I suppose if we're talking to your question around challenges, I knew in my heart of hearts that role wasn't for me, that I loved creating opportunities for people, bringing people together, but the hard sell was just not really in my DNA. I could do it, but it didn't, I didn't love it. And that led to what you've mentioned before, to Ziggler. I was approaching 40. I had an 18-year-old going traveling through Borneo and Cambodia. I knew that I was incredibly unhappy in my job because I was starting to question my ability to be good at anything. And so with the help of one of my dear friends, um, we did a bit of a coaching session and over a course of conversations, I started to be reminded what was important to me and to believe and that I could create. And we had this funny conversation today, one day where she said, if you could just create anything right now and sell it, what would it be and why? 
And I don't know where it came from, but I said, I really miss colouring in. So I'd love to create colouring in books that I actually want to colour that aren't just stained glass windows or beautiful little cottages or, or garden scenes. And so that was laid down as a challenge, as a project, and it became a business. It became Ziggalit, which I ran for a couple of years on my own. And once again, hailing back to my learnings from the cafe, realised that operationally wasn't really my sweet point in business. So I was a bit challenged by not having the resource or the ability to really grow it, but had two incredible years of creating two beautiful pieces of work of line drawings, one featured on master paintings and one featured on patterns, which was patterns were a study of some of my travel photo details and masters were some of my favourite master paintings in the world that I then, it was a lesson as well because there was information about the piece and the artist um, and the colouring in book. So it once again started to remind me what my passions were. So I got attracted by a voluntary role during that period, which was at a point where I was starting to miss New Zealand. So this is, I don't know, six or seven years into our UK experience. Then I started to miss home. So around the same time of creating Ziggalat, I found the New Zealand Business um, Women's Network and the New Zealand Society in the UK. And then the journey that we've spoken about earlier, my UK journey with New Zealand started around there. So many expats, I started to miss home, but I knew I wasn't ready to be back there. So just started putting my hand up for all these voluntary roles and being on every welcome desk I could be, meeting all these amazing people and then just realising the amazing things that New Zealanders were contributing within the UK that I had no awareness of. So this whole new world opened up to me then. And with those connections, there's, it struck me there's certain character qualities often or strengths that New Zealanders carry with them that can help them in their career. And you will have met so many New Zealanders over the last few years. I'm wondering what sort of, what qualities do you see in Kiwis that really help them in their careers? Prepared to step out into the unknown, which many, many travellers and expats are. There's a tenacity there and a drive and we've seen it, and I imagine you've got, it's just as an international group of friends as I do, people who are coming to a new place with very little support around them, you have to be um, tenacious. So I, I think that there are certainly renowned attributes that Kiwis are known for, and tenacity will be one of them. The ability to leap through problems to find solutions, so we're quite happy to own a full problem and not just only part of it. It was actually something that was a little bit out of my undoing in my sales role because I wanted to always be part of the bigger picture and to be part of the bigger mission together. But in that particular team, we were only allowed to own our part of it, which slowed things down. So I think often Kiwis are quite happy to jump in and muck in with everybody um, to find solutions. There is this eagerness and warmth that exists in us. It doesn't take long for people to figure out we're in New Zealanders, so often even without our accent. So I think there's a warmth. There's those smiling eyes. Um, Kiwis get caught out all the time because they're smiling at people. They're curious and, and eager. So I think that those qualities can be a bit cliche, but they still resonate today with everyone that I meet in my role now with Kia, the new arrivals, those who are in business, those who have been there a long time. There's still that warmth, that hospitality, 
the eagerness and the ability to help people through um, any situation. What's gotten harder now, though, is that you're coming into busier marketplaces. The roles that we may have inhabited 20 or 30 years ago in the hospitality scene may not necessarily be where New Zealanders are looking when they go on the OE. So it's getting harder because you're joining a more international, highly qualified pool of people. So this is where you need to start using your network, and that's probably one thing New Zealanders are not particularly good at. We do have this can-do attitude. We do have the cliche of jack-of-all-trade ability, but we're not very good, and I can say this because I've seen it a lot, at always putting our hands up and going to someone we trust to say, hey, I need help, or can you make this introduction for me, or what would you suggest? We are fiercely independent and want to have that ability of having achieved something on our own. And there is nothing wrong now into leveraging the networks and relationships you've invested in, in your career, in sport, and in any voluntary work to help you get to where you need to go professionally. So that's what I've spent a lot of time guiding people through. And then it becomes, it makes sense to them. It's just not something that they've thought about when they got on the plane. Mm. They have been told that it's going to be easy. They've been told everyone loves Kiwis. And I suppose my only real truth of experience is the UK, but I imagine that it's said um, in other locations as well. So all of those things still exist, but spend more time in getting to know opportunities, to making connections, to collecting your little contact book for asking for people of interest for in- intros and really throwing yourself out there. I think it's, it's a wonderful summary of Kiwi traits, actually. And I've seen that warmth coming back to the UK. So I've got three kids and they've, yeah. uh, my two eldest have absolutely commented on it. Why is everyone saying hello and they're chatting? And just particularly coming from London, that's, that's, that warmth and openness and friendliness has been lovely to see. But also you're right, that independence of spirit and that sometimes that can get in the way of, of asking for help when we need it. Yeah. Tanya, I wanted to ask, what is it about what is it about connecting people that you really love? Oh, there is something really powerful and exciting to see when someone's dream is enabled. And there's nothing quite like the power of putting two great minds together. And sometimes I don't even realise that they needed to meet one another. And yeah, that's incredibly powerful. And actually, I just get, I don't need anything out of the the transaction. And so that's where it's really powerful for me. I'm invested in seeing people soar. So seeing people get to where they're trying to get to. And I just understand how powerful it is when someone helps you. So I've been completely in love with my most recent role with Kia New Zealand, which has been three years of connecting New Zealand's aspiration with people who can help them around the world, people who can give them guidance and support and then sometimes a year or two on from that initial nucleus of a connection ends up this amazing story of a business that act transaction that was enabled or a friendship that was born or a new idea or collaboration that came together. And that just fills me. It's this kind of, I call it my little connection deal bell inside me. I get really excited when I see the fireworks that happen when you put the right um, people together. The global chair of Kia, um, Phil Veal, He's a former engineer and he coined the term for me. I'm not too sure where he got it, but it's all about um, engineering serendipity. And that's what I love about connections. 
what a lovely phrase, engineering serendipity. Can't leave it all to chance. Yeah. You have to have some kind of yeah. intervention, but still actually there is something yeah. about the, the world playing a role in it. You've talked about some of your challenges, Tanya. What about some of your proudest career moments? I don't think I'm alone in the fact that it still works, doesn't always sit comfortably mm-hmm. to, to be, because we've been told that we're boastful, right? So one of the things I love about Kia is that it's about celebrating tall properties. So I've tried to sit comfortably with that over the years. If I think about it, winning the, the top bronze at a Savena festival at a cooking competition in Auckland. And from memory, I was the only, I think I maybe I was one of two females in this class. And it was really, really tough. Here we are cooking this meal in about 40 minutes and having to present it for judging. And all of us are having trouble with our ovens. And I won the top bronze. And it felt, I still remember that feeling of elation. It wasn't a gold, it wasn't a silver, it was a bronze. But I had the top one and I'd completed something and had been rewarded for it. So that's something that has sat with me that it doesn't always need to be a gold star of recognition. It's just some sense of achievement and that, that you've completed something to a standard that you're, you're proud of. And then um, seeing my first cigarette book come off the print and seeing that go into the hands of someone that I didn't know and seeing the joy that they had and the interaction they have with the product and be really proud that I created something of value for others. And then even thinking about all the students who graduated as chefs many, many months ago and the pride on their faces and once again feeling really elated that I was part of their journey. And then most recently, the reminders of the power of service and helping others. So through the amazing New Zealand Businesswoman Network, I met so many amazing people that led me to a voluntary role with the New Zealand Society. I ended up being president for two years, which really stretched me and threw me out of my comfort zone, but brought me into the space where I realised what was really important to me around celebrating New Zealand, enabling it and what it wants to do offshore and bringing people together. And then I got the Kia role and became paid to do those things that I loved, which I had to pinch myself. The reason I mention all of that to answer your question, Anna, is what that led me to be was to be part of a community group, leaders group. So four times a year, I would chair this meeting of all the leaders of all our community groups. And when we woke um, to the news of the Christchurch shootings in the UK, I can't even describe what my personal reaction was because we all remember where we learned that news and how we felt about it. And our hearts were pouring out to Christchurch and we didn't know what to do. We're so far away from home. We'd all lived through the news of the earthquakes and had had faced many other things in the lives of living in an international city. But just sitting there and feeling I really needed to do something to help and I didn't know what that was. So over a 72-hour process, it then landed with many leaders and us deciding as a community that we were going to respond with a peace vigil at Trafalgar Square. My ability to bring teams together to ask people to help for help, to wrangle deals as I needed to do or look after logistics. All of that came together in bringing that vigil together. I didn't really sleep for a week, but I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying that I was able to put some time and passion into something because of the support of my family and my community and my job and deliver something that was for the greater good of our community and for our British Muslim community in the UK and to show New Zealand that we were there for them. 
I was really proud that I was trusted to do that by my community and that I was able to use all of my skills for good. And that made receiving the UK New Zealand Year of the Award earlier this year a really bittersweet to receive because it was an acknowledgement of bringing that event together. I had to sit for a really long time to accept that nomination because I was doing what I instinctively had to do to show some love and give some healing space to the world in a really small moment of time, knowing that there are people still healing. But I'm incredibly proud to have been acknowledged and thanked by my community for that small contribution, really, in the grand scheme of life. But I know that it was because of everything that I've been building together over the years that I was able to be of service in that point in time. And to be surrounded by my community and friends and family in the UK and to be thanked in that way and to join an illustrious alumni who are all incredible New Zealanders that I'm really proud of and in awe of, many, it felt a very strange place to be. But sometimes you have to sit and accept thanks and hopefully for me, little old me from Porirua being recognised in London for doing something that I was compelled to do with the help of many, if that just helps people realise that we can be of service in our own way and it encourages people to put their hand up to help others, then I'll feel that there was a greater good in all of that. For me, that was such a lovely story, Tanya, in terms of obviously your own humility in, in telling it, but also the for me, just the culmination of all the threads of your career and your networks that you've built and the passion and the purpose that you felt of bringing people together, coming to life, but as you say, in service. Lovely story. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I'm conscious that you now find yourself back on the shores of New Zealand slightly sooner than I think you had originally planned to maybe be coming home. Yes. And that means potentially or or most likely another career pivot for you or maybe just a continuation, but something potentially different on the horizon. Where do you see your career heading from from here? Yeah, as we were discussing earlier, I'm like many journey life interrupted due to COVID and border closures. So my family and I were here for a two-week holiday, which has become living through lockdown and then deciding actually we're going to stay in New Zealand. So we're unravelling 15 years of the UK, which has been really tough, many, many tears. But as the blue skies um, remind me, I really missed New Zealand's big sky. I missed its people. And I'm really grateful that I had a choice. And so we've chosen to stay home. So looking at all of that, I um, haven't had much time to breathe at the moment. I'm really excited. And then, Anna, I'm starting to sit and think about what's important to me. And so I can start letting the universe know and my network know what I would love to be doing. The stuff that's starting to settle with me when I start thinking about that is around growth and the ability for New Zealand to connect offshore. So that global view for New Zealand is still really important to me. The power of connections, community, and then, but something that keeps sitting in the back of my mind is our youth. And I don't know if that's going to be in a voluntary position or something that I work towards, but I would really love to help that generation of 15 to 30 reach for their dreams. And so I'm starting to explore what that looks like. So I'm really excited about this new world that we're going to create for ourselves as a family and some of the really fun things I can do with New Zealand in New Zealand. But it's not quite clear to me yet. So come back to me in August or September and I might have a clearer idea. 
of what that is. It would be really interesting for me to see what that is. And as you say, does it still bring together that piece of connecting New Zealand with the world, but maybe with that new flow of youth as well? And and probably particularly relevant at the moment, given I know particularly the generation who've just started work in their 20s may well be particularly impacted by by COVID-19 and the, the impact on unemployment. That feels, it feels timely as well. Yeah. If I might ask one last question, Tanya, I'm conscious that we've had a lovely conversation today and I'd love to hear one, one ask one last question. And that is what career advice would you have for other women? Be really clear and proud about what you want to do and why and what you've done. And use your network, um, ask for guidance, ask for support, seek out men and women that you admire for some of those insights and those introductions. And yeah, be bold and brave in your own journey. And imposter syndrome, let it exist to some point if it helps you really think about what's important to you, but use it as a stepping stone into brave conversations. Don't ever let it hold you back. Wonderful advice. Thank you, Tanya. It's been such, such, for me, such a pleasure to speak to you today and to hear about that career journey that you've been on, which, as you described it, was wiggly woggly. But actually, I like to think of it as maybe engineering serendipity along the way as some of those threads have started to really come together over time. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Anna. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.